0: Welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree, uh, South Africa's most informative podcast. And I think we have reason this week to claim that we are wise and far-seeing seers of wisdom. Um, uh, So I'm sorry, let me introduce us in case you don't know us. I am, of course, Nicholas Lorimer, half of your hosts, joined by
1: Mr. Gabriel Krauser, the other half of the hosts. And yeah, we... Our official brand is uh, Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. What would happen if you turned a South African political podcast into a long drink of Amarula? Right. Right. Mixed with crushed ice and spicy Tabasco. Uh, <laughs> not everyone's uh, cup of tea, but uh, I'm anticipating. But it's got kind of a unique flavor. Talk. Right um and and
0: i was uh i was delighted to meet a um a, a listener um out in the field uh recently um which is very pleasant and so uh thanks very much for listening and uh, we hope to continue to entertain
1: and enlighten as we have done so far mm. Mm. yes indeed we do i also yeah i've had a couple of good run-ins uh with the uh, people who listen to the show and I go outside far less than you do though, so this is not surprising. Yeah. I, I unfortunately I was in Mpumalanga, and I didn't find anyone who listened to the show there, but that might have been for the best. Um because I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have told me as much as they did. Or <laughs> <All right>, before <laughs> we get into your that I was a classical liberal. Okay.
0: Right. Before we get up to your adventures in Mpumalanga, um the news and we covered this on the, the Daily Friends show. Um, But it looks like one of the AstraZeneca, the, so one of the vaccines we have, which is the AstraZeneca Oxford one, um, it's the one we got a million doses after the government had to scramble because, as we know, they're not very efficient. Uh, it looks like it's not going to be super effective against the South African variant. And this is where we're claiming our sort of victory lap in that we've warned of this day, like the sort of prophet wearing a sign on the, sen- the side of the road saying the end is near. We were with we were that guy.
1: <laughs> on our first podcast of the year in early January, and it was based on hard science. It was based on consultations with expert scientists in the field. It was based on reading preprints. It was based on looking at what the South African variant had already done. Uh, it's identified cardinal features. It was just very, very clear that uh, vaccines would be less effective. What's surprising is, is how much less effective it is. And yet, uh, the details on that uh, have been somewhat fudged. It's still mm-hmm. very effective against stopping death. It's still very effective against stopping severe right. disease. So, uh, so the What number... it's not super effective at doing is uh, surviving its own expiry date, uh, which is in April. So putting <laughs> it on hold <the> <laughs> yes. now, like if we wait long enough, then it really won't be effective at all. And maybe that's right. what we're shooting
0: for. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Um, So the number being thrown around in the media is it's 22% effective, but then they also go on to add against mild cases. So presumably they're saying in 22% of cases, it basically prevents you from getting COVID at all, um, or at least on a a sort of strongly detectable level. Um, But it still seems to, even the AstraZeneca one still seems to massively reduce your chances of getting severely ill. So there's still good reason to, to take it, but if the government is going to go for some sort of strategy of building up a herd immunity thing, it's going to need to look at, shall we say, plan B or C. Because if you've got the mild one and you're still coughing and spluttering about, you're going to be more likely to spread it than if you uh, don't have any symptoms yeah. at
1: all. Yeah, and death really matters, you know. So I think the right. the head the headline result here, and this is another thing we've already discussed at length. We did a whole hour podcast on this. Is my reasons and 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 Nick told us uh, about mathematics. Um. My view has been, and, me with mathematics. and this is only being reinforced, my view is that coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 is not uh, going away. It will outlive us all. Uh, and, and that can sound grim, but what it should do is trigger a rethink. Uh, just to give some background context, when this all started, there was a difficult question. Uh, how do we as government or, you know, I don't know, whoever, how do we encourage people to comply with lockdown, to comply with social distancing, to wash their hands, to mask, and so on? And part of the reason that this is difficult is that if you thought that humans are rational, narrow utility-maximizing automatons, then the risk of death or serious disease for young people is extremely low. From May last year, we were talking about data coming out showing that uh, you know, although some people have died and can die, it it really is this. In the 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 infection fatality ratio for young people is the same as the flu. It's a thousand times higher for the elderly uh, and for the comorbid and for the unlucky. So, the the argument was um, the argument should have been, and the argument we try to make was, you need to do these things to protect others. Yeah to not be a vector that's what you should try and avoid if you're like nick and i you know late 20s early 30s uh pretty healthy chaps like the thing you need to avoid is being a vector but that argument was was not good enough for some and so they emphasized every young person who died every young person who got super sick and they're like no you need to do this to protect your own health and, of course, there is a risk factor there, but it's just, it is numerically um, not, not illegitimate. Right. Or, exactly. Right. So, so when the truth was you need to do this to protect others, the argument being made was, no, you need to do this to protect yourself. Okay, a bit of both, but there was great emphasis on that. Now, the argument for vaccination is, that's being made is you need to vaccinate to protect others. Need to vaccinate so that we can achieve herd immunity, at which point the virus will go extinct, at which point uh, granny and granddad can no longer pass away from it. That's the argument being made now. But once you shift your thinking to think this virus is never going away, you see there's another argument that's still on the table, which is you need to vaccinate to protect yourself. Uh, so in a perfect inversion, when the real argument needed to be protect others, people were pretending like you need to do this to protect yourself. And when the real argument is you should be doing this to protect yourself, the argument being made is do it to protect others. Protect yourself right. if you can get vaccinated, and that reduces your chance of dying by ten thousand percent, by three orders of magnitude. Um, it's already low, but you can take it from very low, from like one in ten thousand, or four, four or five right. in ten thousand. Uh, which is kind of the youth fatality ratio, to four in 10 million. That's, so a, that's if, a very good argument for taking the vaccine. It costs 100 bucks, right. you know?
0: And so, and so even if, if, if uh, COVID is not eliminated by the vaccine, it will at least allow us to go back to normal life in a very real way. Um, to normal, not death. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm
1: into not death.
0: If, if the vaccine, the vaccine uh, from what I understand, from what you've told me and what I've read, um, the vaccine will basically turn COVID into the flu. Or less, yeah, or less. Back into the common fold Indeed. So this is this is this is a very good reason.
1: Um, so so anyway, so we're really screwing up by by putting it on pause and right, waiting for and, it to expire and, and flipping it around. We need it. What we really need to be there. doing is is vaccinating as many people who haven't right. had the disease, because as it happens, you know, the head of the co-editor of the British uh, Medical Journal, which is one of the most top-rated journals out there, you know, I I was trying to find a number. How many people have confirmed reinfections And I was sort of saying conservatively A thousand, a couple of thousand in the world He has it at 40 Wow 40 confirmed (laughs) reinfections um, In the world As of January So we say 4,000 in South Africa By the way, I reached out to To the sort of health official Who said that uh, working with the NICD, National Institute for Communicable Diseases, uh, have still not gotten a reply. It's been two weeks now, so I'm going to keep drilling down for that. We said 4,000. I was the
0: like, government because... department not re- responding. Yeah. never heard of that before.
1: <laughs> but anyway, out of 190 million cases, you know, there's very, very few reinfections, which is another way of saying there's very high levels of protection provided by uh, recovery, and. So we really need to be emphasizing giving it to people who who haven't had symptomatic disease for sure. I mean, if you are asymptomatic, your coverage will be less. Um, If you're symptomatic, your coverage is definitely going to be serious. It's not definitely going to be improved by having the vaccine, but the vaccine is definitely going to help someone else out uh, to, again, just do this thing of not making the virus go away, not mean you can't catch it, but taking it from being this deadly plague to being something like the common cold. So that's where we should be emphasizing. Instead, we are – you know, I don't know. Walking around with our thumbs in our noses,
0: right? The the the, the phrase I keep wanting to use um, on uh, and uh, and I had to. I don't know. It just didn't feel right to use on the Daily French show, but I'll use it here. So we keep futzing about, fiddling yeah. about, and and we just, are futzing. We're just muddling about for anyway. So it's it's very frustrating to kind of watch it. I mean, I'm not. I don't think either of us is particularly surprised, but. No. It's, no it's but it's life and
1: death and it's the whole right it and is it's life the whole and economy
0: on hold and it's yeah, like it's just it's just everything and of course while we have the south african variant you think we're going to be able to start our tourism sector uh up again even if the rest of the world gets rid of COVID, as long as the south african variant is kicking around here everyone's going to be terrified of us yeah um so anyway um tell on to onto more uh adventurous topics um, why don't you tell me about what you were doing in Mpumalanga? Because I actually don't know yet. So tell us about your okay. adventures and your reporting and your scouring as you've been doing.
1: Okay. So I was told there was a strike. In fact, uh, there's been uh, strike action at a sawmill in Mpuluzi, which is so far east in Mpumalanga. it's basically in Swaziland. It's as far east as you can go in South Africa. Um, it's on the border, literally, and it's like super rural. There, there's, as one employee said, th- there's only two places you can find jobs: the government or the sawmill. So they said we don't, we don't have a boxer. We don't. There's no complex. You know, there's just spaza shops, beans, a car wash, and taxis, and the sawmill and the government. The sawmill employs about three hundred people, and right. they've been having strikes, and there was like threats and dangers So. I nearly went through a week and a half ago and then didn't. Uh, I was sort of told, no, I think we we think it's all going to be okay. We had a source on the ground who was getting worried about this and, you know, thought that we might take an interest. Um, partly because there was like a racial tinge to this, some, some sort of vilifying of white monopoly capital. Uh, we weren't sure what to make of this. Anyway, so. Then last week, Tuesday, February the 2nd, uh, there was a protest outside the thermal. Uh Security intervened. Uh, they say that uh, they just had rubber bullets, pellets, and uh, they had some sort of tear gas stuff, but they hadn't used it yet. <laughs> anyway, uh, December Fana Nkosi was one of the protesters, uh, was struck in the neck. Um, the union rep, uh, 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 Sipot Lamini, he says it was live an- ammunition. and uh, Of course, he died. So, death during a protest. Definitely wanted to go and see what I could find out. Now, let me start out by saying what I couldn't find out. I couldn't find out whether or not live ammunition was used. This is a very easy thing to figure out. The police, uh, you know, you find, you can find, you can, If there's a bullet inside, of course, his neck, or you can tell by the kind of wound that it is, um, you can find casings around, uh, shells. Uh, I haven't heard any word of of them finding anything like that. The police have been uh, less than fully responsive to my questions. (laughs) I'm still waiting. Um, But so that's an open question. There's another open question, which is, there are security cameras on the sawmill that are sort of pointing outside towards the street where this happened um but they say that the tech let them down, and the the hard drive wasn't properly connected, so it wasn't actually recording so that's not a good look um The investigation into this death has to go forward. you know the police need to figure out are they finding uh, four security guards have been arrested um so they'll be interrogated, and they'll see do their stories line up. Uh, they'll see are there are there bullet shells around, um, and 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 uh, that investigation must go from there. I can't really shine any light on that. What I can shine light on is what happened in the build-up. Um, and in this regard, the sort of other, only other journalist who was there was an SABC reporter and SABC filed this report, and they sort of painted this very much as like a labor dispute that went wrong. Security went out there and shot these guys dead. Um, uh, I, sorry, shot these guys, which which is to say, uh, Mkosi, uh died, but three others uh, were also struck. So again, there'll be more ways to find out if they were struck by rubber pellets or by bullets, and. And and that kind of does matter because you know it's a tragic thing, but the the rubber pellets he he was struck in the neck. You know there is like a a very small chance that that uh, these weapons that are designed to be non lethal uh, can just uh, you know unfortunately strike someone in exactly the wrong spot right. and
0: trigger. Getting hit in the neck is even if it's with a non-lethal weapon is not it's not the best yeah. thing for your health at any time.
1: No. Okay, so here's what here's what I figured out happened in the build-up. Um. And to figure this out, uh, uh, uh so one thing is, um, uh, Dlamini's version, the the. Uh, the union rep, he said, no, there was a peaceful protest. It was outside. It was away from the main gate. They weren't really stopping anyone, but they were protesting the fact that 250 employees have been fired from the sawmill a month ago uh, or a a week, you know, in January, a couple of weeks ago. um, And they wanted to go back to work. Um, But the other version is that, which I heard from a random uh, bystander whose identity I've got recorded, but can't reveal uh, who was there on tuesday february the second is that they were uh disrupting people who were trying to go to work uh they're burning tires you know planks on the road stuff like that throwing rocks and that they were stoning one guy and then starting to beat him and that the security intervened because you know there was every reason to think that they were going to beat him to death and this person said to me either they were going to kill him uh if the security didn't intervene uh so he said, he asked me this question, he said, what do you call that if, you know, but, it, but as it happened, one of them died. So he said, what do you call it if one person is going to die with an, or from one side or from the other side? He said, I call it a war zone. Um, why were they fired? Uh, well, there had been a series of strike actions. The story sort of starts in December 2019. Now, on the union rep uh, version, the manager, uh, Anton Wilson, the whitey, um, beat two women staff members. And then the owner, Lawrence Hudson, came in and said, no, we're not going to fire him. We love this guy. We'll never fire him for you, for you people. Um, and so he took this to be an admission of guilt. The big white boss saying, you know, we don't care. We're just going to keep with it. On the other version, uh, which was confirmed to me by half a dozen staff members, he never beat them. He put his hand on their shoulder, uh, you know, saying, please get back to work. Uh, there was, it was absolutely non-injurious. It was taken to court. It was thrown out of court uh, with, almost with contempt. Um, but it, it was a sort of warning shot from the union side saying, look, we're going to take every chance we can to disrupt your business and try and get rid of the management and ultimately try and get rid of the owners. Next step is December 2019. There's wage negotiations. Sopawu doesn't show up to these meetings. Uh, So after the third time, the management just says, okay, well, this is the raise that we're going to give. And then they say, well, okay, that's not good enough. We're going to have a strike. They hand out ballots. There's no question on the ballot paper. It just says yes or no. Most people vote yes because they're told to. Now, the damini goes with a certificate saying look we've got a right to strike um give us a raise and they say we're not going to give you a raise you haven't done the negotiations properly and but look you've got your right to strike we have a right to lock you out if you don't initiate a strike within 48 hours so after 48 because we don't want this like sort of damocles hanging over our head every day so after 48 hours they close the factory down it's called a lockout And this is in March 2020, so it hardly makes a difference because then what happens is there's lockdown. Then by June, they're like, okay, we want to get back to work. We're an essential service, so we can do it. Um, Here we go. Let's try and negotiate this thing to get it going again. Then there's some protests and some strikes, and it's a bit heavy. Uh, Eventually, they sort of uh, get back to work um, after some of the burning tires are, 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 are put out. And... Then there's just like a series of mad events. Like in one event, um, they, one of the workers is called Jabulani. Um, he's a sort of young guy our age uh, who is non-unionized. And he's been expelled now from the union meetings because he kind of disagrees with them when they say things uh, that he believes aren't true. Um, so they go to him and they say, we've got this memorandum Demanding that construct the the Mwalazi, uh, 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 another one of the senior managers leaves, and uh, and that you know some Anton leaves, and that they drop charges that they've laid against us for assault and so on. Um, you must submit this because you are you are isn't yoga. You are a snake. You are a gundwani. You are a rat. But if you want to show that you're a person, you can show you're on our side by submitting this thing. He says, no, I don't want to do that. So they start pushing him around. They grab his phone. They break his phone. They, they've they got planks. The guys with the planks are starting to come around him to beat him up. Anton Wilson gets in there, sort of saves him, pulls him out, hails the security. That's sort of one little vignette. Uh, but what comes before that is this basic, this situation where they basically hold all of the staff hostage that were called in to prepare the factory for COVID regulation. So before you begin business properly, you get like 20 or so staff in there to like make sure that the tables are all far apart and there's uh, masks and stuff, everything's in place and lots of hand sanitizers. When that happens, guys come around at like two o'clock. They don't want to go back to work because they still haven't got their pay raise. So they start burning tires and, uh, and, and blockading the road with rocks and saying, you guys can't come out until you agree to our demands. So they call the police. The police show up two hours later and do nothing. So now it's four o'clock. At five o'clock, the police just
0: leave. Can I just just say that, like, I I can't remember, I think it was my dad once said to me, you know, almost at the root of, of like, almost every problem in South Africa, you'll probably find the police not doing their jobs as part of the problem. And this is yet another example.
1: Dude, this is such a tragic example. So... But, but it does have moments of comedy and construct. He he gave me my favorite moments. He said, then after five o'clock, we tried to leave. The police were already gone. We tried to leave ourselves, but they were blocking the gate and they were trying to break into set fires and they had new tires to burn there in front of the gate. says it was winter. This is winter last year. So by like eight o'clock at night, they can see, oh, the police are back. But how can they tell? Because the police are standing around the burning tires with the protesters, warming their hands, sharing a joke. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> like, that was the level of police involvement in this. Three dudes had broken into the building and tried to set fires. The security had come and like, chased them out and stomped out the fires. Police are just chilling outside, warming their handy pandies on the burning tires of the protest. So... Eventually at 10 o'clock, they get some like armored, you know, bulletproof cars to get the, to get everyone out. Construct goes with some of the staff in one direction to go drop them off. He gets a phone call saying, dude, the mob hasn't left. Like now you guys have forced your way out. The mob hasn't left. They've gone to your house. His son, his family was asleep, but his son was awake watching TV. He heard the mob come singing and dancing and chanting along. So he goes to the front gate, locks the front gate so they can't get in. Turns around, they pelt him with stones in the back, like bruising him, drawing blood, like 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 shiring this little kid. He gets back into the house. Okay, teenager. He gets back into the house. Uh construct Construct shows me videos of the mob then they then threw a petrol bomb at the house which was defunct mercifully, so it didn't uh, burn the place down uh, with wife and children inside. Um, Then he gets another call. No, the good news is the mob is leaving. They're going to someone else's house. The very strange news is they are being escorted by two police vans. And I've seen video footage of that, confirming it. So then he constructs and the security guys go to the other guy's house, the other non-unionized employee's house, and they see the police there with the mob who's like chanting outside like like uh, some devilish intent. And they uh, take out their shotguns and they, and they shoot into the ground and uh, say, look, guys, this is we, we're not going to stand for this. And so the crowd disperses. Construct then goes to the police station to file a complaint. He's very furious because the station commander, Zwane, of the whole thing was there. He saw him there. And he said the way he was there and not doing anything, it was to condone those people. It is the only way to construe that, says Construct. And, you know, sounds right to me. So the next day, he he comes back from work and finds out that his son was summoned to the police station and has been there for hours. It's like now 9, 10 o'clock at night. So he goes there to find out what it is. The police station is kind of an open house. So he walks into the room. Commissioner, or the captain's one is facing the other way on Construct's version. And is talking, doesn't realize he's come in. And everyone's wearing a mask, so they're hard to recognize. And he's busy saying, that, what, what, what happened to Construct and his family, uh, it's not a bad thing because he was standing with the management. He wasn't standing with our people. So, Contract whips out his phone, starts recording it. Then the next day goes to have a meeting with the captain, plays the recording back to him while recording that conversation and elicits a sheepish apology, uh, which which I have listened to. Um, so it's like really, really damning of the police. And and Construct had these charges of assault, of like arson, of all this stuff. Those were the charges that they, you, the union guys were then trying to uh, get him to drop with their memorandum that they were trying to force Jabulani to submit. So these Oaks are being terrorized. I spoke to half a dozen of them. I, you know, I didn't think they were going to let me use their names. But in the end, they said, you have to use our names because we've been sitting quietly with this thing, with these people terrorizing us for too long. One of them, Tuli, not Tulela, uh, an old lady who sort of works there on the storm She said, uh, yeah, uh, my ultimate fear is God and my ultimate faith is God. And so if they come to kill me for telling you this, it will be my day and I can return to him. Um, but, you know, God says I must tell the truth. So I was I was I was blessed in a sense to to um, encounter these people who who were just fed up and who and who were terrified because they said the mission of these guys on that day on Tuesday was for one of us to die, and that mission did not succeed. So we don't think this thing is over. That mission will continue. They will keep pushing until one of us is dead. So if one way or another, we must rather just tell the truth in the meanwhile. And see what can come of that. So, you know, this is a sort of picture of the breakdown in labor relations. But, it, but Nick, I know I'm dragging this on. But it, it's an intense story. It gets worse. So, they finally get oh, back boy. to work. I mean, just in the... They finally get back to work um, in sort of, let's say, August last year. And now they've got a lot of back orders. Because this thing has been closed down forever. And so... You know, the timber comes in, you've got to saw it down, you've got to get rid of the bark, you've got to make it into planks, you've got to ship it off, people need to turn it into furniture and all kinds of useful goodies. Um, and now the warehouse is piling up and the, and the, you know, the suppliers are, you know, they've, they've got to uh, really go full steam ahead. So they hire 80 additional uh, temporary workers and they usually hire a few. Uh, during the rush season but this time the rush season is a bit longer and they hire a bit more so they hire about eighty, eighty eight, 88 uh and these are fixed term contract workers so the contract says you know you're going to work for a fixed term there's not a full employment thing and they sign the thing they're going to their contract is terminating december 18th so they do this and on that basis they they do good business um And all seems well. Then there's a dispute at the end of the year about the bonuses because the management says, look, you guys, we've only really worked half the year because of all the strikes and the lockdown and all that. So usually we give you a four-week bonus at the end of the year, but we want to give you a two-week bonus. Then in protest against that, Anton Wilson, the other manager, he is locked into the office and they throw away the key and, you know, he's sort of being held hostage again and it's like another nightmare and they're like, okay, you know what, they finally get him out and they're like, okay, just have the four weeks bonus, it's, it's fine. Um, we need to finish, you know, because the guys were threatening to down tools right then and there was only the last week of the year left and if you don't beat those, those suppliers, all the builders, it's a nightmare so they just do it. Okay, then January 4th starts, start of work after the Christmas break and everything's normal excepting that there's one guy there who was one of the 80 temporary workers. And he's discovered sort of between the start of work and lunchtime. And so they're like, okay, you, dude, you don't work here. Like, great enthusiasm, but you, this is, you know, you've got to go home. Um, better luck next time. The workers hear about this and they say, no, no, no. no, no, no. This is not right. This is not fair. So they all down tools, excepting for a few. Uh, uh, Sanele was one of the, she said, but I'm here to work. And if I don't work, how can there be money? I have to work. Uh, And they say, no, 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 you mustn't work. We must do a strike now for that guy. They're trying to chase him out unfairly. She said, I'm not part of that thing. But, you know, it doesn't really work if only one person's working out of a team of 250, which I would say, or only 10 or 20 are working. So they're down tools. Next day, there's a bit of a... Uh, basically, this morphs into a strike over the guy who was not allowed to come to work b- because on the basis of the fact that he didn't work there, right? So the management's argument is... Our rule is if you work here, then you can work here. And if, if you don't work here, then you can't work here. And the counter argument was justice. Justice means none of us can work so long as that guy doesn't work. Uh, Patricia, uh, who's one of the ladies who works in account, she said, It's breaking my brain, this thing. How can they ask us to strike for someone who is not even, he doesn't even have a job here? He wasn't even dismissed. He was never one of us. It's making my brain to be very broken. Which, again, I must say, these guys, you know, what they were saying made a hell of a lot of sense to me. My brain was also breaking at this stage of the conversation. But this is ultimately what leads to an illegal strike where they refuse to come to work for weeks. And management keeps saying, guys, if you don't come back to work, you're not following protocol here. We are going to fire you. And, like, there's warnings and they go through the procedure. And then they fire the 250 staff by the end of January. And that's what then makes them furious. So they blockade the road from the 26th of January. They put stones, heavy stones on either side of the road leading to the gate, more burning tires. No one, if we can't go back to work, no one can go back to work. And it's a week of shutdown like this, where people that you've now fired, and by the way, that means replacing them with some of the temporary staff, you know, so there's there's like 50 who are non-union, who... Uh, they weren't firing and hiring on the basis of who's in a union or not, but there were 50 who wanted to keep coming back to work, and so they were kept, uh, but the 250 were fired, and they would be partly replaced by some of these temporary workers, but they don't want to let that happen. Um, and so for a week, the Somal management kind of just sits back, and they're like, we don't really know what to do here, because we're asking for help, we're not getting help, we don't know how we can get all our staff in uh, with the mob outside. Uh but then after a week they're like, we have to do this, so we're going to get extra heavy security and we're going to call the police. So they call the police on Sunday, January the 31st. They say, please come tomorrow. We've got a skeleton staff coming in to set the thing up. Police don't come. People try and get in. Some manage to get in. Some don't manage to get in. One of them said, oh, you could smell the dacha outside there. Those it, you could. Those people had more powers to do damage than you can hold in your brain. That's an excellent
0: um, euphemism, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic.
1: So then, on Monday night, they're like, "Well, tomorrow we want the full staff to come in that we now have, which is you know, eighty people." Again, the police don't show up, um, and one of the guys who is who is slapped around on Monday, he's then the guy who gets caught on Tuesday being pelted by stones, falls to the ground, guys surrounded to go beat him. Security then see this, they rush out and fire rubber bullets, uh, presumably, trying to disperse the crowd, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, But that's sort of what led to Fanon Korsi's death. And and then thereafter, there's this really bizarre scene where a, a Kasatu security truck van, shows up, uh, picks up Fana Nkosi, and, and then doesn't take him to the clinic first, goes to the police station, to try and get the police to to go to the event, to the incident, um, then goes to the clinic, Nkosi dies, police finally show up, and so does the mayor, the executive mayor of Chief Albert Lutuli Municipality, which is a huge municipality, and Impuluzi is just one of the sort of small Uh, rural backwaters that's included in it Um, and he had already tried to intervene for example in January after they all got fired he went to say look this is too much and they said okay fine we're prepared to consider rehiring some of these guys but there's some of those guys we will never rehire they have burnt our factory they have attacked our managers they've held people hostage they've been uh, attacking them at home like we just there's nothing you can say that's going to make us rehire those guys but we'll rehire 200 of the 250 he goes back. No, 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 that's not good enough. So the, the strike continues. Anyway, the mayor shows up again, trying to bring peace, and he says, "I need to meet with you guys." And they say, "Okay, that's fine. You can come in. Let's stop talking through the grill. Uh, you can come into the factory, but we those protesters cannot come in. So you can come in with your private security, and the and the captain of the police can come in, but we're not letting those guys in." So they say, "Okay, open the gate." Uh, dudes come in, but then so do the protesters. Then the protesters grab Anton Wils- the Wilson's glasses off his face and crush them, grab his phone, start pushing him around. He turns to the captain's one and says, are you just going to let this happen? Captain does nothing. They keep pushing him, so he pushes back. They they sort of uh, get into a bit of a fight, scuffle on, both on the ground, security come, pull them apart. Um and that uh, the mayor responds, I think, perfectly reasonably for a mayor. He, he, he flees the scene with his private security. Uh, the police uh, do exactly the same thing, which is harder to understand. I don't understand how the police flee the scene. And one of the bystanders described this to me, said, Oh, I've never seen the police move so quickly in the opposite direction of a crime underway. Oh, no. Then... Guys have gotten in. They're trying again to to set fire to the place. Security are coming. Like one of their uh, one of them is like overpowered. They take the guy's shotgun, but it, it only had uh, rubber bullets. So they run away with a shotgun on the phone, and like because other security have sort of also showed up with their shotguns. So like okay, they disperse. So it's like a very hectic little scene um, of kind of total abandon in front of this in front of the mayor. Like, no, there was no, like, okay, now we're going to be civilized in front of the mayor or in front of the captain of the police station. It was like, no, now we're going to show you what we're really about, like physical intimidation, threats, and well, violence. Well,
0: I mean, they were kind of proved right because,
1: you know, the mayor ran away and so did the police.
0: So, yeah, it seems I like mean, they I were w- acting completely logically.
1: <laughs> yeah. J- just by the way, part of the reason I know this is true is I spoke to the mayor. He gave me a half an hour long interview in person, uh, sort of an hour north. And he confirmed that they were insulted in front of, uh, that Wilson was assaulted in front of him. And Wilson has opened a case, and he'd like to take it to court. And I'm sure that he'll call the mayor as one of his witnesses. Uh, so I think there there might finally be a, a, a case. I don't know. Um, but absolutely, the police had shown all the way up to that point, and in that point, that they were not there to defend the peace. Which is very distressing. I mean, there's also stories about, like, Um, 50 people going to the police station to file a complaint after the last time that they were all locked out, after the last time that the protesters stopped them from getting to work and pelting them with stones. And the police station said, no, we just can't take this. On that same day, police just sort of turned them away. There's another story about one of the HR reps getting held hostage in the police station by protesters. Dude, my favorite story, to come back to Construct. So Construct, there was a hit put out on his... On him on Facebook, so he takes that to the pictures. as one does, uh, and and the hit is sort of partly under the name of Jabulani. There's this fake account with no picture, but with Jabulani's name, saying, "Oh, you know, um, uh, construct is just injayomlungu, the white man's dog." So we must, we must get rid of him. And then someone says, yeah, I'll eliminate him, uh, but you must, make me, uh, you must pay me for it. Um, so Construct takes us to the police, and they say, no, but it, but it says Jabulani there, but you're saying it's not really Jabulani. He says, yes, it's a, it's a fake name for the account, but you can use the data to look into the back to see what phone number is connected, what email address is connected with that Facebook page. Right, right. And they say, and they say no, we can't do that because we don't have electricity. At that point, Construct also lost. I mean, it was his own life being threatened. But he said, can you imagine, can you think to hear the police say they can't investigate because they don't have electricity.
0: (laughs) Oh, come on. And
1: the captain is endorsing these people by just going along with them.
0: You know, it's, it's difficult to decide if it's
1: more tragic or more pathetic. It just so that, yeah, I'll tell you the tragic part. The really tragic part is this. I went to go see Fanancoursi's sister uh it's, she's got a hard name to say um so i'm not gonna I'm not gonna butcher it 40. uh and she they she described them as orphans, um basically. Their parents had died. They, I think they just had a mom. And their mom died in 2007, 13 years ago. And they're both pretty young. So I think they were both teenagers at the time. Fana, of course, he has a son. So it was just him and his son and his sister staying together in that house. And he was the only breadwinner. So there's no... she. I mean, she looked like she had the fear of starvation in her eyes and of a worry over that nephew of hers to, to to whom she is a mother and I asked his former colleagues what they thought about Fanan and, and they said that he was one of the good guys during the ghost lows he was working overtime if you gave him an instruction, he would be the first to execute. That was Construct's phrase. Construct said he was extremely surprised to see him amongst those who who were who were getting violent and protesting and and he said he said, you know, I asked him he said When it comes to the anger and the the hatred at, at, at the white man and at business and all of these things, he said, most people here are very poor and very reasonable. They know their only chance to live a decent life is to work. And you must work where you find work. And we must all work together. But there are those who come with a sensation, he said, who come to stoke a sensation inside of you of anger. And of hatred. And they will direct that anger to the white man. They will direct that anger to anyone who works together with a white man. They will direct that anger. They will make you t- to see red. Will be That will be the color you see. And he said. The, for some people. they They. Although they don't feel it themselves. That sensation can be stoked inside of them. But for others. Even they don't feel the sensation. They just are too afraid to contradict the firebrands, so they go along with it. And he said, I believe December course, he was one of those who he was always, he was so, um, you know, he was the kind of guy who took an instruction. Construct said, I believe a, a great peer pressure put him in that position. Right. That it was not, it was not his character, it was not his way but that he was going along for fear and and there's something so painfully tragic about the thought that that a young man trying to hold his sister's life up trying to hold a 5-year-old son's life up trying to flip and survive in a brutally impoverished place trying to work extra hours trying to volunteer to do overtime was 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 caught up in a whirlwind and and could see no other way but to join the mob that that was ultimately arguing in very simple terms for him to be able to work i mean it had gotten to the perverse point where their actions were to stop all work but but what they were promising was for him to get his job back and so he shows up to be part of that and and then perhaps takes a rubber bullet, just in the most awkward spot, that then pulls him to the ground, right. and and takes his life. It's 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 a. Uh, you know it what is the story touching. is. The yeah? story
0: is is just such a good microcosm of everything that is wrong with South Africa: the twisted labour relations, the misuse of of the the twisting of of race relations to 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 benefit some the ineffectiveness of the police the desperation caused by poverty and all these other things it's just it's it's all in there and you know it actually it reminds me i'm sure um a lot of uh, you know this, it sounds almost like a mini maracana in a sense that uh, oh, there are obviously differences but yeah in the way that there was kind of this climate of violence leading up to it and it sort of You know, you can kind of see why everyone acted as they did, and yet it's all awful. Uh, I I have a question for you, which is, is there anything beyond the sort of uh, straightforward, hoping for more money, hoping to get jobs, that kind of thing, driving some of the things, especially I'm talking about the leadership of the the strike? Is there anything else going on there? Is there a political angle, or is this more sort of really just about money?
1: So Sepawu which is the chemical and so on union yeah. um it's a kasati chem- union right yeah it's a kasati union it's yeah um they have been placed they have been in bad sorts for many years when i first came across them they were outside the sawmill and they were about maybe 80 or so people in new sepawi looking sh- t-shirts uh and sipod lamini the leader I told you about, he was leading the chant. Long live the ANC, long live. Long live the ANC Youth League, long live. Long live the ANC Women's League, long live. Making very political. Long live Kasatu, long live. Um, so he was definitely politicizing it in that sense. Um, but just to give a bit of background about Sapawu, they, Johann Krauser, C-R-O-U-S-E, like me, but no relation that I know of, um, was the labor registrar. Uh, he'd been working in the civil service for 40 years, worked his way up to that position. in 2015, and he placed he tried to place the power under administration because they hadn't filed their accounts for audit in five years, and <laughs> right. they've got like six billion rand under management of their of their members' uh, sort of retirement funds. Yeah, 21,000 members. It's a lot of you know. It's a lot of flipping money at stake, and there's a lot of evidence that it was being abused. Mildred Ulefant, who was then the minister of labour. Suspended Johann Krauser for gross insubordination, uh, which basically meant doing his job. Uh, This (laughs) then triggered, this got a lot of headlines and a back and forth. um, And eventually, uh, the labor court deemed his suspension uh, invalid and irrational. Um, So he got back to his job, tried pushing again, but there was more uphill. They were finally only placed under effective administration in 2020, so they've had a nightmare. And Siput Lamini said, "You know, the the upper structures have totally abandoned me. So, in a way, you know, I think he's also fending for his own.
0: Right.
1: Uh, yeah, he's in a risk, difficult they, s- spot. He, and he had to he had to produce the goods as a
0: reason for why the union should exist, or yeah. else they'd be toast. Mm. Yeah."
1: So that's an interesting part of yeah. the backstory. But he said to me, I said to him, after we left uh, Ntobifutti, uh, uh, of course, his house, the, the deceased's house, um, I said, what's changed now? He said, the thing that has changed is before we thought our issue was with management. Now we know the issue is with these owners. They must go. They must never stay here. We can ne- no one will ever work for them from Impuluzi ever again. Even those who want to work, this neighborhood is small. It's not like Joburg. You can't just disappear into anonymity. We know where they are. No one will work there because now one of us has died. So the terms of negotiation have changed. And I took that to the mayor and the mayor said, this is crazy. This is like closing your eyes because you don't like what you see in front of you. This is not a right. way forward. If those managers leave, it's 300 jobs. Those jobs will never come back. So that's, that's um, the sort of uh, bigger union ownership issue. Uh, but another part of it, which is, interesting and in which I stumbled upon uh, last year in relation to the same holding company is that um, they've got sort of four sawmills and timber plantations scattered around the country and one of them was earmarked for expropriation without compensation. Well, that's interesting. So if you look at the, the, the way that the expropriation bill has been touted, this might be one of the test cases and it might say look how they're using this they use they're killing their staff and they're firing people and they're, they're terrible they beat women and uh, and, they, and then they don't fire the uh, manager right, who beats right. the women because he's white you know they might come with a long list of stories and complaints to justify it for the good of the nation mm. 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 now that is very worrying so and the and the ownership have been badly maligned. I mean the Houghton family uh who 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 run these mills they i've i've come across other stories uh so the the, the name of the company is Normandine Dean Farms, and Norman Dean might ring a bell because uh that 's where Glenn and Vida Rafferty were murdered last year uh, close to Newcastle and Becky went there and so on. And when I was researching that story, uh, one of the things I found is there was this great grievance in the community because they said, no, the Normandine farm guys impounded our cattle. These workers had 300 head of cattle running on the farm and they sort of uh, uh, impounded them and the people couldn't eventually pay the pound fee. So they lost all their cattle. I mean, a tragic case. Um, But... That case was taken up all the way to the high, to the Supreme Court of Appeal, and an appeal was taken to the Constitutional Court, which said, no, the Supreme Court of Appeal had it right. And what the Supreme Court of Appeal said, uh, to to narrow this down very briefly because we're running out of time, is that they would fully complied with the law. Uh, one of A member of the Department of Agriculture had come in and said, no, look, these cattle can't be here. They're overgrazing, uh, and, the, and the workers were only allowed to have 20 cattle or the residents were only allowed to have 20 cattle on the property and they had three hundred, so they said, you know, the excess cattle have got to go, and uh, and then said if if no one removes them within the next year, or government doesn't find another property to relocate them as part of some uh, land redistribution scheme or whatever, then um, then anyone can call, uh, you know, can use any means to to deliver these cows to the pound master, and in fact has to do so because otherwise Norman Farms will be in violation of the of parts of the law that protect land usage. It's illegal to overgraze. And usually they sort of turn a blind eye, but it was so egregious in this case. Um, so so I mean that was the kind of detail, you know, they were actually on the right side of the law there, but um that that side of the story was never filtered through. Instead you just have this picture of these of these awful white men that are that are just sort of out to uh to hurt black people. That, people, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really the that's really the version that I was hearing on the ground, um, right. it passed very much in racial terms. Um, right. So. So I think that is part of the, the question you asked, like, what's the political background? You know what? What else is going on here? I think yeah. that makes what, sense. what
0: what I thought was quite interesting, though, is how the mayor, were, uh, you were just saying how, you know, he said it was crazy what the, the union guys were doing. Um, so, you know, he's I think there's a little bit of him saying different things to different crowds there. Uh, yeah. But he is a he is an ANC mayor, and he's clearly not super comfortable with this. So it does seem like there's at least some sort of gap here between what the Kasatu guys are doing and what the ANC is doing. They're not all operating together. Yeah.
1: Any, anything no, we should I make should, that? Yeah, I should just say. I mean, I, the mayor was very cagey. He 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 tried very hard not to be critical of the union. Um, <laughs> right, and, right. And 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 how surprising can that be? I mean, like I said, I just came from a rally where a whole bunch of people are singing long live the ANC, he's an ANC mayor, it's like right. 90% of the voters. They're on his ANC. team for sure. Uh, but yeah, he was not without um, a serious level of pragmatism. And I mean, he said to me, I, I felt like I'd done so well. A couple of weeks ago, when he went to management and said, "Please, you can't just fire all these guys. Like, even if you legally can, please, 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 let's make a plan." And then he got them to concede. No, look, we will rehire some of these. We'll rehire most of these people. Two hundred and twenty out of the two hundred and fifty, we will rehire. Um, and and he's and he said he was very disappointed when when he he went back with that and it, and it wasn't good enough. You know, it's uh, I think he's I think he's worried. I think he. He struck me as being, as you say, in a difficult position, in a a political position where he's got to say many things to please many crowds, Uh, but where he knows that talk is cheap. Money is real. And if that if that mill goes, there's no money for no people there. Dude, it was it was it was an uncomfortable space, you know, like people were grumpy with me. The first few people I spoke to were like some teenagers, youth men who like while we're talking, one of them just turns halfway, unzips whips is his willy and starts urinating while staring at me and <laughs> so the you know, taxi driver show, going past, <laughs> like shouting, hey, I'm long- long! you know, it's like, yeah, it was not, but I could understand that a little bit because cause, cause life there seems very harsh. You know, it seems like everyone's sort of a little bit close to the edge of, re- of real hunger. Um, so I think it is a combustible situation and no mayor wants to be overseeing a town uh, also, of like five thousand, where there's only 300 jobs and then those 300 jobs go and then it's like you're really going to get worse the crime will get worse yeah. the and and
0: and and, and like you look I, I i i have no idea uh, anything about this mayor's detail but if if i were to to generalize if you know uh, anc rural mayors are generally not the least corrupt people in the universe um, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh when when all the business is gone and your town has gone from being a two donkey town to being a zero
1: donkey town, there's not much point in being mayor, is there? Because Yeah, I don't know I d I, I've, I just, got no limit. reason to suspect him of being corrupt. And and in terms no, of, no, 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 of I'm, business, not, I'm not I'm not saying yeah. that
0: he is. I'm just saying that regardless of, of how good a mayor he is, uh you there's, know, there's there's, 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 there's a, a lot of reasons. Sure. Yeah, there's a yes. lot of reasons to to, to to try and calm this down because if it gets any worse and You know, and the total to the sawmill, you're going to be there's not going to be nothing left.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's exactly right. Yeah, no, so I think you're right. I I think it is a little microcosm of of a of a lot of the problems I've seen in rural South Africa, and it's and it's a tragic case, and it does have its its comedic moments. And you know, I just want to finish with I I asked, is there any hope for Impuluzi? And construct construct said to me, only if Saps do their job. Right. That is the only way. And you, you can say that for a, a hell of a lot of South
0: Africa. Yeah. Um yeah. if 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 SAPs did their job, this country would be in a much, much better place than it is now. Uh and I think I think based on the story you're telling here, um, you know, whatever how, whoever is responsible for that death, the police are part of that partly culpable, because if they had done their jobs, if they had de-escalated situations, if they had controlled crowds, if they had, you know, uh, taken the role they're supposed to take instead of having the private security do everything,
1: Mm.
0: then the situation might have been better. And the fact that they didn't um, almost certainly made it it worse and made it more likely that uh, someone would get hurt, or in this case, killed. Yeah. Anyway, Anyway... Uh, that is, uh, I think, all the time we have for today. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to talk about the tea, the glorious tea between yeah, yeah, Genius the tea between and, Zuma and Bilema. But you know, honestly, we don't know that much about what was said, um, and we were going to speculate wildly. Uh, I think
1: all yeah, I'm say... I think it's a great...
0: just, yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me just finish off by saying, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> It's like two great forces of decay and evil in this
1: country kind of coming together to plot. It's not a good feeling. It's no, it's, it's a bit, you know, I feel like it's a Rorschach test. It's like everyone and anyone can project their own ideas about what's happening to South Africa <laughs> onto that T. Right. And, right. <laughs> and, and I do, I love, I must say my, I've been quite critical of Stephen Hurtis, um the voice of the nation on SAFM for, <laughs> for 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 like you know i don't know the, particularly the way that he dealt with the da uh, once they adopted Gwen and gwenya's resolution to officially become non-racial uh, he said oh no this is terrible black people are poor white people are rich don't you get that i was like dude flip and go to santon like read a book like look at the figures you know there are a lot of rich black people in this country you can't say black people are poor this is a terrible terrible uh, old school thing and then i realized that He's 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 had a bit of an issue for a long time. Once he described himself when Zuma first came to power as Stephen Critter said, You know, I'm a black brother, uh, underneath my white skin. You know, if you just scratch underneath his paste, you'll find that I'm like, you know, I'm one of our people. And I thought like he's he hasn't fully he's still getting there. You know, he hasn't realized what true non racialism is. He thinks it means that if you're white, then you must be nice to black people, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that
0: that that makes you not racist.
1: But... Yes. <laughs> but non-racism anyway so but I, I really like he said he did point out this grand irony on on safm um said that i listened to when i was driving back he said you know isn't it fabulous that these two great forces for decolonization uh have come together over the grand colonial tradition of tea. <laughs> and it's just oh, man. A... cry the beloved country and if you can't do that have a laugh uh, as we like, like to say, the cups, were, the cups they were drinking from,
0: because uh, I saw the photo of them that they did for social media. Uh, I just want to say also on that, like the thing that really annoyed me about the whole thing, and a lot of things annoy me, <laughs> but this thing in particular annoyed me: the performative, I don't know, self-aggrandizing nonsense that went into that meeting discussion. So obviously they wanted everyone to know that they were gonna have this meeting because they did it on Twitter. Because Julius messages uh, Zuma and says, I need to come and speak to you urgently. Can I come over for tea? And then Zuma replies with this whole, you know, I'm so such a humble man. You did, I'm paraphrasing here yeah. I'm so humble and all I have these days Is just you know in Kandla And I'm just sitting here but I have tea I have lots of it. it's like the one thing I do have So you are welcome to come And then Malema like suddenly plays The part of the respectful young man Going to see the wise elder And he's like oh that's so wonderful And it just I like. I know it's all part of the whole political Theatre and all that but it just makes me a bit Sick because it's all sort of so syrupy and insincere and gross. <laughs> and, you know, these they, they're playing into a stereotype of what it means to be, you know, of, of this kind of racial nationalist thing of this is what blackness is about. It's about, you know, respect for your elders and that kind of thing. These guys don't respect each other. They've been stabbing each other in the back for years. It's just,
1: <laughs> it's total. Yeah, absolutely. There is it's, so it's little love. It's
0: they don't yeah. care. Um, but they know that to please a very particular audience, they want to play this and create this image that they are these sort of humble men of the soil who are who are just fighting for the people and it just it makes me sick because also they're so the two of them are so corrupt and toxic. Yeah, anyway. man. Sorry, that was annoying me and I just needed to. Well too to, to <laughs> uh, do you have any recommendations? Gosh. Uh, you go first while I have a quick think you see that was what I was really hoping that you wouldn't say um, because I don't really have a great recommendation so I'll go for um, I think uh, there was a piece on nationalreview.com it's an American conservative magazine written by Charles C.W. Cook he's not the guy from the Cook Report who's a political analysis there he's a weird British guy who loves guns and lives in Florida and is the perfect fusion between a sort of old school, upper-class English Tory and a Florida man, which is an amusing, which is
1: an amusing intersection of <laughs> yeah.
0: ever there was. One. Yeah. He 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 dresses like a cowboy when he can and he, and he fixes golf carts when he's not writing for national review, which is... mm-hmm. <laughs> he does a podcast called, um, Mad Dogs and Englishmen with Kevin Williamson, which is very good. Anyway, he wrote. He just wrote a, a, a quite a short little piece about. Um, I can't. I can't find it now on the website. But basically, it was. It was very recent. It was about how the New York Times had cannibalized another one of their own for being insufficiently work. Um, mm. In this case, he had used uh, the N word in a discussion about a person who used the N word. So, it was. Literally it wasn't there was it, it was completely okay in context. Like it, it wasn't used as a slur. He was referring yeah. to someone else uh as who had used the word. Yeah. And he said this originally and then issued this mea culpa apology about how context doesn't matter. Uh I'm paraphrasing again, but basically he yeah. said context doesn't matter, it was always evil and wrong, and I'm such a terrible person, and please forgive me, I'm the worst human being, I'm so racist and uh, the New York Times fired him anyway, <laughs> so it was just a good little article about that, because he's sort of shaking his head and expressing outrage. And when and when Charles C. W. Cook expresses outrage about something, he's great to read. He's always real fun.
1: So that's my very recommendation. Good. Very good, very good. Um, mine is a, a book called Hidden Hearth, uh, which is about epistemic humility. So we've talked a lot about epistemic magnetism, um, and this book is about uh, sort of I don't know, just just calling yourself into question. And it's by a British Cambridge professor uh, whose name is "Escaping Me." Nick, can you remember? We we no. in, interacted with him on a basis that I can't say.
0: Oh 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 the the, the, the Michael what's yeah. his name Michael
1: Michael Blasland, so you're talking. Yes, about? Yes, there you go, Michael Blasland. Uh, yes. Blasland is a great name, eh? Hey? There's and, also
0: there's also an interview with him on the Center for Risk Analysis channel. Um, I think it's called the Hidden Risks We Cannot See, something like that.
1: Yes, hidden on risks on YouTube. We see. And it's it's just uh it's he's really. He's really got very interesting examples of situations where we thought we knew exactly what was going on. And by we, I mean top flight expert scientists. And then it turns out that we were totally wrong, flabbergasted by further testing. Um he sort of gets into John Ioannidis, who uh, we've talked about on this show a lot, sort of the world's most cited scientist in the 21st century, um, who who we've been following for for coronavirus. Uh, who basically made his name back when I was at university by publishing a meta-analysis of the most cited uh, scientific publications in the world showing that almost all of them, well, that the vast majority of them did not couldn't stand be reproduced. up to yeah. yeah. So it's just, you know, I think, I think that part of the reason this kind of thing is important to engage is, is in this time of tumult, it's easy to lose all trust in the method and it'd be much better to to lose trust in the authorities that are abusing the method and claiming to know what no one knows uh for sure and and that really is trusting the method the method of inquiry the method right. of doubt uh right. a method that is sometimes called science and um i
0: yeah. also just just really understanding that um while our methods and things, while these methods can be very good and, and you, rigorous adherence to them is a very good thing for the world, um, that they are limited and that mm.
1: uh, we don't know nearly as much as we think we know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's my rec. Give it a check. Other than that, I can just say, I mean, I, because I've been out on the town, when I get back, I kind of uh, revert to the the meat grinder by just rereading uh, things that I've already read, like *Scramble for Africa*, and rewatching things I've already seen, like *The Darkest Hour* uh, with the, <laughs> Winston Churchill's finest speeches, yeah, right. with Gary Oldman being the best Winston Churchill. And I must say, when when I feel a little bit lost in the world, sometimes repeating an old experience uh, gives me a kind of comfort and steadiness, um, which 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 is much needed. Uh, so those are two of my go-tos and if, if you're feeling a bit lost uh, maybe those work for you maybe something else maybe my, my my biggest recommendation is just you know think of your favorite thing and give it a re-look uh, because what I often find is that uh, with dull eyes actually with eyes that are wearied by travel and inquiry I see new things in old pastimes, um, and and that too is a joy
0: Indeed. On that grandiose note, I will add a further one of my own, which is a fun fact about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is Ooh. the is, is the only cast member of an episode of Parks and Recreation to become president of the United States. <laughs> 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 that's because he was on, when he was vice president, he was on a, a particular episode of Parks and Rec, which that's is a very good fantastic. series. I recommend it. <laughs> <So that's laughs>
1: fantastic. <laughs> yeah dude that series does a great job of making fun of libertarians and of like social wokey types and of you know it's,
0: yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's got a sharp series.
1: knife to take
0: what was it. what was great is how they clearly decided i think i think the writers you know they're not a fan of, of libertarianists, and they clearly decided they were going to write um uh, the libertarian character ron swanson as a bit of a villain and they just couldn't, because he was so lovable. And so they ended up just turning him into a, a sort of, not quite a main character, but like a supporting main character. And <laughs> anyway, it's a great show. Um, I think I once saw a YouTube comment, which was very wise, which said, um, Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec created more libertarians than the libertarian movement ever did,
1: <laughs> which is
0: probably true. And with that, uh, we shall bid you farewell. We shall see you soon. Apologies for being late. Uh, we. Uh, we we uh we had difficulties and we were not feeling yeah. so great yesterday but uh we are back on our game today anyway keep the flag of liberty flying
1: grr, 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 grr.